Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. Hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program, our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life. Hello and welcome to Talking Facts. This is your host, Dr. Jennifer Hunter, Assistant Director for Family Consumer Sciences Extension at the University of Kentucky. Today, I'm pleased to have joining me Alex Elswick, our Extension Specialist for Substance Use Prevention and Recovery. Thanks so much for joining us today, Alex. Thank you for having me. Today's topic is about Good Samaritan Laws, and as we were chatting before we started recording, you said this was at a direct request that of just helping individuals understand what are Good Samaritan Laws, what do they really mean, you know, how are they used, or what, you know, just all that there is to know about Good Samaritan Laws. So let's just start with the definition of what are Good Samaritan Laws. So Good Samaritan laws have been used in this country and across the world for a long time, and they're primarily designed to give people immunity who are giving aid in an emergency situation. So the most obvious example is to think about someone who's going to give CPR or they're going to use one of those AED defibrillators you see in high school gyms everywhere, right? If someone were to, in good faith, try to help someone, let's say with CPR, if you're doing the chest compressions right, you could crack a rib. And so we wouldn't want someone to be fear being liable in that situation because then they might be less likely to render aid when someone needs it. So these laws protect people from that sort of prosecution. Do they only protect someone if they've actually been trained in CPR or if they've been trained to use the defibrillator or it just protects across the board? No, that's a great question. And irrespective of any kind of training, you don't have to have any kind of training, protects anyone who's making a good faith effort. So if in good faith you believe someone is in imminent danger and you're offering some sort of help, you know, the law, I think the language of the law is you shall not be prosecuted. And I think in today's world, we hear a lot about Good Samaritan laws in the realm of substance use and overdose. And I think so often that you might see a news story that it's just a, a tragic situation of where there may have been individuals with someone that they knew had overdosed, but for fear that they just leave the person and, you know, maybe they they pass away or, or their results are not as positive as they could have been if they had received aid sooner. Do Good Samaritan laws apply in that instance? That's exactly right. So in 2015, the Kentucky State Legislature passed Senate Bill 192, which I got to go testify for. for oh, wow. Very cool. And one of the provisions in the bill was to expand Good Samaritan laws in Kentucky to protect people who are reporting overdoses. And the reason for this is because when someone's calling for an overdose or or when someone is with someone who has overdosed, a lot of times they will fear prosecution or fear an arrest. And so instead of calling for help, they'll do all sorts of things. They'll uh, put people in a bathtub, run water over them, these things that are totally ineffective. And as a result, people are dying. So, and in terms of it protects the person if they try to provide aid, but does it also protect the person because, and, you know, I don't want to say guilty by association, but maybe if they Mm -hmm. were there with the person, they may have also been using drugs or have drugs on them. Does it also protect them in that scenario? Yes. So what really all that it will prevent prosecution of is possession of a controlled substance, possessing a drug or possessing paraphernalia. So if someone's overdosed, you can pretty much assume that they have drugs or and or paraphernalia in their possession. 
if you call for help and first responders come, oftentimes the data says about half the time police will come with other first responders. They can't prosecute you for those things, for the the, the drugs or paraphernalia. Okay. What's important to note is it's not uh, cover-all immunity. So if a person has a warrant out for a separate issue, they're still going to be taken in. Right? Okay. Right. So why do we have Good Samaritan laws? Have Good Samaritan laws for a couple of reasons, mainly because, simply put, it saves lives. So when you look at some of the data, some of the research that's been done on Good Samaritan laws since they've passed across the country, one of the things that we note is about 88% of the time, it's people who use drugs who are actually administering naloxone. So actually, family members about 9% of the time and first responders only like 0.2% of the time. So very few of the overdose reversals are actually by EMTs or police officers because they, they can't get there quickly enough. Right. So now when you say naloxone, is that also Narcan? Yes. It's a good, very good distinction. It's the same thing. Narcan is just the trade name. Naloxone is the, the drug name. And it's the podcast we just did recently. So if people are interested, they can check that out. So naloxone reverses temporarily the effects of an overdose. But it's primarily being used by people who use drugs. So we have a vested interest in trying to encourage those people to continue to, to call for help following a naloxone administration. Right. And the, the primary reason that people report that they haven't called in the case of an overdose is because of fearing arrest. But again, and so we're talking about those individuals that, you know, may be there, may be partaking, but the Good Samaritan laws would also cover a family member, because you just mentioned that family members often might provide the naloxone or the, the Narcan. But, and I don't know, is there a way to administer it wrong? So you gave the example of CPR, of breaking a rib. Is there a way to, to administer Narcan incorrectly? What's really nice about Narcan is that, to our knowledge, there is no known side effects of Narcan. So, for instance, if you gave Narcan to someone and they weren't actually having an, an opioid overdose— it wouldn't do any harm to them. If we if we both use Narcan right now, it wouldn't harm us. It's possible that there are some side effects that we don't know about. Right. So in the event of something like that, I think one of the possibilities is there's a nasal spray version of Narcan, but there's also an intermuscular injection. So I suppose some things could go wrong with the intermuscular injection. Something like an EpiPen? Something very much like an EpiPen. There's actually a particular kind of Narcan called an Evzio kit that just like an EpiPen, it'll talk to you. Oh. And it walks you through, tells you to remove the cap, tells you when to where to place it, and then it counts down and does the injection. The downside of the FZO kits are they cost like eight hundred dollars a piece. Can I really say that's that's pretty high tech. That uh, is pretty high tech. <laughs> that's that's pretty high tech yeah. in terms of EpiPens as well. It's pretty high tech. Excellent, Alex. Thank you so much for being here today and helping us understand more about Good Samaritan Laws. I would point out to our listeners that, as we mentioned at the beginning, is that today's topic was by direct request, and we are always happy to provide subject matter content on those requests. So if you do have uh, content across all subject matters that we cover, feel free to leave that in the, the comments or reach out through the show note links, and we will do our best to address those questions. Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition and health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question, or a show topic idea, leave a like and comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT. 
visit us online at fcs.uky.edu to learn more about the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program or contact your local extension agent for family and consumer sciences. We build strong families. It starts with us.